Okay. So this week's Torah portion is a follow-up of the first three Torah, but the, first, the, the prior two Torah portions in which Moshe Rabbeinu in Deuteronomy is beginning to repeat and take the Jewish people through everything that happened in the last 40 years. And Moshe Rabbeinu is obviously clearly overly concerned that the Jewish people are leaving their isolated, protected environment, separated from all other nations, limited interactions, and protected in the clouds of glory, focused primarily on their spirituality, no need to earn a living because even their sustenance is spiritual, the manna, which is called the bread from heaven. And Moses knows that all this is going to change. And on top of this, Moses knows that even when they were in the desert, in the protected environment, in the spiritual oasis, even then they were continuously sinning. And the sinning include idolatry. So now he's overly concerned that when they go and start mingling with other nations and learning about other forms of religion, what would happen then? So Moses is consistently warning them about that, warning them over and over not to learn from the religions of the other people to remember that they all stood at Mount Sinai, that they all heard directly from God. And, you know, there is no other religion which claims any such revelation that the foundation of their receiving the word of God was not to one person privately, but to everyone collectively at the same moment. And Judaism is the only religion which has documented the story of Mount Sinai, where God didn't speak to a prophet or a person and tell them to go start this religion, but rather God spoke directly to men, women, and children. Over 3 million people simultaneously saw and heard at Mount Sinai. God giving them the Ten Commandments, which is the foundation and within it is all included, all 613 commandments. And therefore, Moses is telling them, look what you heard, pay attention to what you've been through, and don't start learning from any other ways. Now, interesting, I was paying attention to how Moses is telling the Jewish people back and forth. If you look in chapter 7, verse 17, Moses, in the beginning of the Torah portion, Moses is concerned that the Jewish people become afraid to conquer the land, thinking that if they go to war, they will lose. So here Moses is telling them, don't be afraid of losing the war because it's not your war. It's God's war. However, very interesting. Go further, and all of a sudden, you see 
Moses is concerned to the other extreme. If you look at verse and chapter eight, at verse 14, for example, Veram Levavcha, and your heart will become exalted, and you will forget that God is the one that took you out of Egypt. And he goes on to say, and if you will say that it's my strength, right? Verse 17, you will say in your heart, my own ability and the strength of my own hand has accumulated this wealth for me. So you see Moses is taking them in both directions. Moses is taking them in the direction that if you're afraid that you're not going to be able to do it, you should know God's carrying you. And then Moses is taking them in the exact opposite direction, that if you stop believing that it's in your strength, remember it's not you, it's God. Now, I'm going to share that my, my understanding of this is that both are two signs, sides of one and the same coin. And I want to explain myself. When a person is belittling themselves, it comes from a lack of self-respect and it comes from insecurity, a lack of self-worth. However, interesting enough, when a person is egotistically, obsessively talking about him or herself, it's from the same root. It's from the person having insecurity, lack of self-worth, lack of self-respect, and therefore they're obsessively talking about themselves, continuously proving that they are a somebody. So being afraid that we can't or suggesting that we don't need God because alone we could, I would like to suggest is really two equal expressions of the same, the same black hole of doubt in self, doubt in, in who we are. And God is telling us that the way to fill the black hole within ourselves is by understanding that it's not about us. What makes us who we are is only because we are the creation of God. Okay, I wanna share with you some other interesting things of what is being said in this week's Torah portion. One of the things that's being said, I mean, Moses goes through again, the story with the golden calf and then what happened at Mount Sinai and everything. Uh, however, I want to share with you that Moses says over here some interesting stuff. Number one, in this week's Torah portion is the verse that says, and you shall eat and you shall be satisfied and you shall bless God. The only biblical blessing that exists is the blessing of grace after meals. Every other blessing that there is in Judaism is a rabbinical ordinance and not a biblical ordinance. In other words, there are three types of blessing. There's a blessing which is called birchat hanenen, a blessing where we thank God before we enjoy anything. That blessing is the blessing before we eat, 
the blessing after we eat. All blessings before we eat is not biblical. The blessings after we eat, if we don't eat a meal, which is identified by bread, then the blessing after the meal is not biblical. The only biblical blessing is the grace after meal that is said when we have a satisfying meal, which again is identified by bread. I want to just share with you, there are two other types of blessings. There is the blessing that we do before we do a mitzvah. And that blessing will always begin with, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you, God, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, our God, King of the universe, Asher Kiddishonu B'mitzvoisov, who has sanctified us with his commandments, Vitzivanu, and he commanded us to, and then you'll say, depending what mitzvah. So when you're making, a, uh, making the blessing of washing your hands, it's going to say, Al-Natilat Yedayim, for washing your hands. When you're going to take the lulav, it's going to be Al-Natilat Lulav. So the ending of the blessing talks about the specific mitzvah. But all mitzvah blessings begin with the same. Blessed are you, God, who has sanctified us with his commandments. The third type of blessing that exists in Judaism is the blessing of praise. There are many blessings in which the entire focus of the blessing is simply to praise God. For example, the blessings we say before the Shema Yisrael and after the Shema Yisrael. Okay? Also in prayer, in prayer we have blessings, but it's really not about blessings, it's about prayer, but the blessings of prayer is bakashat srachav, asking God for um, our needs. So that's more of a prayer than a blessing. I do want to share with you a mystical insight in what blessings do. So Again, as I said, the only biblical blessing is in this week's Torah portion, the blessing of the Birkat Hamazon, the grace after meal. However, in Kabbalah and in Hasidus, blessings have a very, very, very deep, deep power and purpose. For example, when we do a mitzvah, we're doing a specific act, which is the will of God. However, making a blessing before we do the mitzvah is, so to speak, putting the crown on the mitzvah, where it's not about just a specific will of God. It's not just about the all-inclusive general will of God, but it is about the master of the will. And here I want to share with you that primarily the purpose of blessings is to connect with God. What does that mean? That means that very often we kind of make religion all about the Torah and the code of Jewish law. That's not what religion is all about. Religion is all about God and the will of God. The will of God is defined in his Torah and is defined in his Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law. 
However, we don't start serving Torah and Shulchan Aruch. It's all about God. And to remember that the Torah is the way God tells us what his will is. Hence, sometimes we can study Torah and remove from it the fact that it is the living Torah of our living God. And we can start taking the Torah as a constitution, as the founding laws and governance of Judaism without connecting it with its only existence is that it is the will of God. Hence, before we study Torah, we make a blessing to understand that this isn't just a wisdom. It is the will of God. It is the bridge that connects the finite human being with the infinite God. And so too, when we do a mitzvah, it's not about, did I do the mitzvah right? Did I draw down the energy because the mitzvah was done right? Did I not do it right? And therefore the energy isn't here. Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? Did I do it right or did I not do it right? Did I commit a sin or did I not commit a sin? And all of that becomes very self-serving and God is out of the picture. So understand that when we say Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God, what we're doing is making sure that religion, Judaism, Torah, mitzvahs, code of Jewish law, never becomes in its own way a self-serving idolatry, but that it's always about God. Okay. That's what blessings really Kabbalistically are all about. Now, another thing I want to share with you. There is a verse here in chapter 10, verse 12. This verse is quoted in the Talmud. And then the Alter Rebbe takes up issue with the Talmud and shows us how we need to understand the Talmud. The verse says... The Ato Yisrael, Ato with an ayin, not you, Ato with an olive, but the Ato and now with an ayin. The Ato Yisrael and now Israel, Jewish people. Mo Hashem Alekecho, what is it that God is asking of you? Shoyel mi'imach. What's already, what does God already want from you? Ki'im liyida es Hashem Alekecho, but to fear God, your God. And the Talmud says, whoa, 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 Moshe Rabbeinu, is fearing God easy? That is the hardest thing, to consistently live within the consciousness that God is right here with me. We're not talking about the fear of punitive. No, that, that's again self-serving. We're not talking about the abusiveness of always trembling. But rather, and it's interesting, right? Because when you look at the righteous people, the holy righteous people, you don't see them living a life of trembling and fear. Rather, you see them living a life of joy and love. But in their heart is grounded the awe 
of God's presence consistently. The humility standing in front of God. And therefore, this is not an easy thing to consistently live in the consciousness where you can say, I truly feel that I am standing before God and I am in awe of God's greatness. I want to share with you what that would mean. What would that look like? Can you imagine living every day of the year as if it was Yom Kippur? Can you imagine what it would feel like to constantly on Yom Kippur, we're so careful with every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought we have, every second of the day, we don't want to waste time. We want to stay focused. We want to stay spiritual. We want to stay consciously connected. Can you imagine living Yom Kippur every day of the year? So what is Moses saying? And now, O Israel, what is it that God is asking for you already? He's not asking that much. Only, always, consciously stand in the awe of being in the presence of God and God's greatness. So the Talmud says, Moses, what are you saying? Is it such a small thing that you're making it sound like, oh, what does he want already? And the Talmud answers, in, yes. Klapi Moshe, milzezutrasi. For Moses, this is a little thing. For Moses, who talks to God, who sees God within everything, it's very easy for Moses to, to have fear of God and awe of God and consciousness of God's presence. Now, parenthetically speaking, I want to share with you that the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, Rabshalom Dov Ber of Lubavitch, he says in his, in, in his Kuntris, uh, he, he made a booklet uh, which is devoted just to talking about prayer. And he says that prayer is all about having, arousing within ourselves a tangible love and awe of God. And then he says, however, amongst the two, the real work is love. And he says, why? Because he says to fear God is not hard. Why? And he says, because the only reason we let go of our awe of God is because we let go of consciously knowing that God is right here with me. And therefore, he says, if we can train ourselves to always see God in everything, and in everyone will always be reminded that God is here. And if you feel that God's presence is here, automatically you will stand in a conscious awe of God. And he goes on to explain, how can you always remember that God is here? How can you see that? So he refers to the verse, Hashem summit. there's a teaching where the verse says, I always have God before me. But how can you always have God before me? So our sages tell us a little trick of how to do that. And they say, when you look at the face of a human, which all humans were created in the image of God, you should see God's face. Train yourself to see God's face. How does that work? He said that you look at the eyes, they're small, they look like a yud. 
you look at the ears that looks like a hay. You look at the nose that looks like a vav. You look at the mouth again that looks like a hay. And therefore he says, train yourself to always see the name of God in the face of every human being. And the Rebbe emphasizes that that doesn't mean only when you see the face of a Jew, but the face of any human being. You can learn, by the way, there's a format, right? In how you remember names and numbers and you do it with association in your head, right? You connect things. Okay, four and six equals, you change it for letters, whatever, right? There's a trick. The same thing here. There's a trick. Translating your mind, eyes is yud, ears is hay, nose is vav, mouth is hay, and you'll always see God's name. So you'll always be able to see that God is present. That's how the Rebbe Rashab spoke about it. And the Gemara is talking about that for the Moses dynasty, the Rebbe's, Moses himself, and the Rebbe of every generation, they live in such a consciousness where, yeah, fearing God just means to be conscious of God's presence. And for them, that was easy. Now, the Alter Rebbe in Tanya asks the question, it says, Gemara, what are you doing? You asked the question, and then what kind of answer did you give? You asked the question that why is Moses telling the Jews that it's so easy to have fear of God, consistent consciousness of God and awe of God's presence. And you're telling it, Moses, you're telling every Jew that it's easy for them to do it, but it's not easy for them. That's not easy for us to consistently remember. We always get caught up in our head with the, the things that we see and pursue and, you know, the physical we see the physical and we know and believe of the abstract. But obviously the power of what we see presently and what we feel tangibly and physically is stronger. So we kind of forget of God's consciousness. I do know that we're getting on in the month and I'm gonna get bills soon, the end of the month, the beginning of the month. Oh, that is real to me. But the fact that God is right now sitting, listening to me, giving this shiur, sometimes it, it isn't there. It isn't there for me in my conscious mind. So the Alter Rebbe says, so what do you answer, Gemara? You answer that Moshe Rabbeinu, for him it's easy, but Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't talking to the man in the mirror. He was talking to you and me. So what difference does it make if it's easy for him? If he's talking to me and he's telling me something, it's got to be about what's easy for me. And for me, it isn't easy to live consistently in the conscious awe of God's presence. That's the Alter Rebbe's question. So Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gemara, asks a question, but the answer doesn't seem to answer the true question that the Gemara itself just asked. Excuse me. Hence, the Alter Rebbe gives another twist here to the story. The Alter Rebbe says that when the Gemara says that for Moses it's easy, it's referring to a teaching quoted in the Medrash, quoted in, in Kabbalah, quoted in Chassidus, that within each and every Jew, there is a spark of Moses. What that means is there's a level to our soul called Yechida, which that level of the soul has a clear and conscious connection 
because it never evolved into getting covered and getting covered and getting covered by lower and lower and more physical and more coarse realities. It remains now here in our body exactly the way it was in heaven above. That's the piece of Moses within each and every one of us. And therefore, what the Talmud is really saying is that Moses was telling the Jews, if you're willing to become present and conscious, not of my relationship with God, but about the Moses within you, you will then realize that for you, this is easy. And just that you know, that the Alter Rebbe writes in the cover page of his Tanya that the entire book of Tanya is based on one verse, it is exceedingly close to you to do everything God asks for you, and seemingly that it's not so. It's not easy to always do what's right and never do what's wrong and always live a spiritual life and a selfless life and to always do Torah and mitzvot. So the Alter Rebbe asked the same question. What is it saying that it's close if it's negedachush? It's really not the practical reality that you and I live. And the answer he gives, Bill Tanya, is also based on the same concept with different terminology, but it's the same concept that within our soul, there is the highest emanation, which is chachma. Chachma is wisdom. The word chachma is broke, made up of two words, koachma, the absolute potential and power to have ma. Ma is total humility. And hence, we have it within us, the or ain't self, a true peace of God lies within the core of our soul. And therefore it's within us to live with this closeness to God and to live with this conscious awe, consistent conscious awe of God's presence. And based on that, I wanna share with you just one more twist here to the verse. Moses says, Ve'ata Yisrael and now, O Israel, Mo Hashem Alekecha Sholmimach. What is God your God asking of you but to fear Him? Now we shared that the Alter Rebbe explains that within each and every one of us, there's a Moses. I also shared with you the Alter Rebbe explains that this Moses within us is the Chachma of our soul. I also shared with you that the word Chachma is made up of Koach Ma. Koach means the absolute power, potential, and ma literally means what? And it's used to talk about absolute humility, transparency. Now let's go back to this verse, va'ata Yisrael ma. Moses is already giving you the answer. And now, O Israel, first and foremost, you should know that within you there is ma. Within you there is a piece of God which is 100% transparent. No coarseness, no cover-ups, no opaqueness. It lives with the absolute consciousness of God. God is everything and everything is God. Now, once the Yisrael connects with its own ma, its own piece of Moses within itself, then it's easy to fear God. Okay. Also, I want you to know that in this week's Torah portion, 
is the second portion of the Shema. Last week, we learned the first portion of the Shema. And this week, we learned the second portion of the Shema. Bahaya im Shemoah. I just want to share with you briefly, what does it mean? Bahaya im Shemoah. The first portion is talking about accepting God as your king. The second portion is talking about accepting God's commandments. Hence, the Talmud says we read the first portion before the second portion because God says, first accept me and then accept my decrees. And here, once again, I want to elaborate a little bit on the understanding of mitzvahs. The prophet tells us, Im tzidakta, Job tells us, Im tzidakta matitenli, pishacha. If you have done good, what have you given me? What do I get from your mitzvahs? You really think that I get anything from your mitzvahs, the prophet says in the name of God? You really think it makes a difference to me? Ultimately, if you eat lobster, I become smaller. And if you eat gefilte fish, I become greater. You think that these mitzvahs affect me, God, is what God says. And if you sin, what do you think you're doing to me? You think you diminish me? Judaism doesn't have a dualism in which there's a God and there's a Satan. And Satan is an angel that went on its own and fought now against God. That doesn't exist. You know, these sci-fi movies where a computer picks up its own free will and, and starts going wrong and have to bring back in the machine. That, that's almost how other religions see Satan. There's an angel that went wrong here. That's not what Judaism has, believes. To Judaism, Satan is a loyal angel which was sent to test the human being because through tests and temptations, human beings evolve and grow. That's all. So if you do a sin, what did you do to God? What you think you made God's enemy stronger and God weaker? Does God ever become weaker? Does God have an enemy outside of himself which can fight him and conquer him? So what is all this about mitzvot? So there's a lot of deep teachings about this. But what I want to share with you is that ultimately speaking, when the sages want to know what the word mitzvah means, what is a mitzvah? It takes us to the words which means a connection. A mitzvah is a connection with God. It's not about anything that God needs because the word God and the word need are mutually exclusive. If he's God, he has no needs. If he has needs, he can't be God. So mitzvahs is never about God's needs. And God doesn't need us in order to win a Satan, yada, yada, yada. Rather, mitzvah is simply an opportunity for us, the finite human being, to connect with the infinite God. Now, because this is a bridge between the infinite and the finite, that is precisely why the mitzvah has within it a dichotomy. It is the infinite will of God expressed in a very finite and finicky fashion. And the reason is because it is a bridge between the infinite and the finite. So if the mitzvah was not 
expressed in the greatest detail, just like electricity. There is no, what's the difference if I connect the wire here, I connect the wire there. We're connecting the wire. No, if you connect the wire here, it's going to work. If you connect the wire there, it isn't going to work. And everyone understands that. But when it comes to Judaism and spirituality, we're all like, oh, really? What's the difference if I put on the tefillin this way or that way? What's the difference, fins or scales or not, fins or scales? We wouldn't say that about electricity. We wouldn't say that about computer programming. One missing one or zero changes the entire program. One wire that was connected wrong and the electricity is not going to be flowing. So the question we have about spirituality is, but really God, God is infinite. So why does he need the details? My friends, God doesn't need the details. The finite human being needs details because if not, it isn't real to us because we are finite human beings and we can't live in an infinite, ah, what's the difference? It's all lovey-dovey. It's all okay. I'm thinking about God. I'm loving God. What's the difference if I did this or said this? No, because we are finite, three-dimensional, physical, mortal human beings, therefore, our connection with God has to have a very finite, descriptive, finicky expression. But on the other hand, the mitzvah is all about connecting with the will of God. Hence, know that when we do a mitzvah, in our finicky, detailed expression, experience of the mitzvah, lies the infinite will of God connected with the infinite essence of God. Hence, schar mitzvah, mitzvah. The reward of a mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. Meaning that the greatest reward of the mitzvah is that the mitzvah has like a funnel. It has one end which is infinite, one end which is so finite, and through it, the finite mortal human being becomes connected to the infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent God. So hence, what greater reward to the mitzvah is there than the mitzvah itself? To have a connection with God, not in where I completely cease to exist, but rather I as a physical human being have been given a finite physical expression, which is my bridge to the infinite God. Hence, we now understand that religion without mitzvahs that are finicky and detailed and physical is going to be a religion in which I cannot truly connect with God. For me to connect with God, I would have to deny my physicality go only into meditation, even in meditation, it's my finite brain having a finite meditation experience. So ultimately speaking, I as I cannot tangibly connect with God. It's only through the physical, finicky, detailed, descriptive mitzvahs that I as a physical human being, when I physically eat, and I have this scientific understanding and experience 
that my my stomach is is right now extracting the minerals the nutrients and the rest of the stuff is getting pushed and it's pushed out with a bowel movement and all that physical finicky thing which is not about faith it's about reality suddenly becomes my connection with god why because this biology of food has the laws of kosher and non-kosher. So my eating is not just about an animal receiving nutrients, but it's also about a human being having a connection with God. Now, with that being said, I'm going to go into what I shared, what I texted would be this week's Torah, this week's point of the class. And I'm going to say it briefly because I just explained most of it. So when you go back to the opening words of the Torah portion, Vahaya Akev, and it will be the word Akev means because. And it will be that it will happen. And basically, Hashem is telling us, because you will listen to the mitzvahs and you will guard my, my, my covenant, you will receive A, B, C, D, E, F, G. However, the word Akev, excuse me, Akev also means heal. Do you people remember why in Genesis, Jacob was given the name Yaakov? He was given the name Yaakov because he held on to the heel of Esau. Therefore, he was called Yaakov, Yud being the first name, the letter of God's name, but Akev means heal. So the word okay means heal. Now let's look at why does the Torah use the word Bahaya Akev Tishmaun, and it will be because or it will happen that you will listen instead of using the more usual word, which is ki tishmaun, im tishmaun. Why Bahaya Akev? And therefore, Rashi tells us something very interesting. Rashi tells us that we're talking about the mitzvahs that people tread on with their heel. What does that mean? And the Medris explains it in a little bit greater detail. And the Rebbe of blessed and saintly memory explains to us what the Medrash is really telling us and what Rashi is telling us. When Rashi talks about the mitzvahs that we tread on with our heels, what does that mean? What that means is that there are big mitzvahs and there are little mitzvahs. Just an example, right? I have to daven, but do I have to go to shul and daven with a minion? Or what's about a bunch of other details in mitzvahs? Yeah, I know the big mitzvahs, the Ten Commandments. I know Shabbos. I know within Shabbos itself, the biggies. But then there's the little ones, you know, really, doesn't really make such a difference. Come on. So what happens is there are the mitzvahs that we call the heel. And what that means is the mitzvahs that we know are small mitzvahs. How do we know they're small mitzvahs? Well, very simple. Look at the laws. There are certain prohibitions that you get put to death for. Certain prohibitions that you get spiritually cut off from God. Certain prohibitions that you get lashes for. And then there are certain prohibitions that you do teshuva. So I think to myself, one second, by the gravity of the punishment, I can already tell 
the gravity of the sin. So there's bigger sins and there's smaller sins. The same thing with mitzvahs. I look at what the rewards of certain mitzvahs are, and then I start realizing, oof, putting on tefillin every single day is a biggie. I see what it says. However, a little bit of gossip, not being that careful with this and that, you know, not saying everything, not doing all my daily studies, that's not so important. You see that the Torah didn't make a big thing out of it. How much more so take it to the next step? What's if it isn't even a biblical mitzvah? It's a rabbinical mitzvah. Let's take it even further. What's if it's not even a rabbinical mitzvah? Nothing more than it's the custom which people today do. Like, really? I got enough headaches with, with trying to keep 613 commandments. Now you want me to add on all the thousands of different rabbinical details? And then not only that, you want me to deal with customs? Let me focus on the important ones. Not that I'm not going to do the little ones, but if I have to start, let's start with the big rocks and then we'll get to the little pebbles. Oh, I'll do it all. But let me take care of what's first is first. What the sages are telling us here is that God is telling you something very interesting. If you're going to be calculating about mitzvahs, I'm going to be calculating about your blessings. But if I see that to you, it's not about the calculations. It's about connecting to, with me and living in my ways that I've given you. And from that perspective, it doesn't make a difference. A big mitzvah, a little mitzvah, it's what God wants. It's important to me. Then I will treat you the same, says God. I'm not going to be calculating what you deserve and what you don't deserve. I love you and what you want is important to me. And that's what this Torah portion begins with in telling us. Decide what kind of relationship you want to have with God. You want to have a calculated relationship? Fine. But then don't go on asking, well, I do so much and look, I'm still poor and I'm still suffering and I'm still dealing with health issues and, 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 and allergies. And what's about that guy? That guy doesn't do half the mitzvahs I do. He doesn't do half the good deeds that I do. He's not half as selfish as I am. And look, he's got all these blessings. He's pulling up with a Tesla and I'm driving my putt-putt on the right on the side. What's going on here? Well, the answer is simple. He may be doing less than you. He may, he may even be working less than you in serving God. But his relationship with God is not calculated. It's simple. I love you, God. I want to do what you want me to do. It makes no difference if it's a custom, a rabbinical law, a biblical law, a capital punishment law. It doesn't make a difference. All I know is God you want this, I love you, I want to do this for you. And then in return, there's the mirror reaction. So the person who's doing all the big stuff, okay, let's work out the calculations, what you owe me and what I owe you as a reward. The other person who's not doing that, it's whatever comes to his hand, he lovingly says, God, here's a moment I can give you, I'll do the same for him. People, thank you.